Hey everyone, in this week's episode, we're going to be re-airing one of our top episodes of 2022 with the lovely investor and business leader, Daria Burke. We have so many incredible new listeners of the podcast, so you may have missed this one. I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode of the Behind Her Empire podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Daria Burke, to our show today. Daria is a recognized leader in the field of fashion and technology marketing, and most recently served as a chief marketing officer for JustFab. Daria is a visionary leader and storyteller and has held many leadership positions across a variety of industries from fashion to beauty to tech. She started her career as a founding member of Rent the Runway and also worked for major brands like Estee Lauder, Lancome, and Yves Saint Laurent. She then served as a head of beauty strategy, growth, and innovation at C. CBS, and then transitioned to working at Facebook, where she led their beauty, fashion, and retail partnerships. Daria was named as a 2020 Woman to Watch by Ad Age and has been recognized by Women's Wear Daily, the CFDA, Vogue, and Forbes. She's also an active angel investor and is a member of the Fast Company Executive Board. On today's episode, we'll talk to Daria on a whole host of topics from how to transition and find careers that are authentic to you, steps to tackle the fear of the unknown that so many of us have, and the importance of doubling down on your strengths and what you do best. And she'll share a few of her secrets on how to do that. We also talk about how to manage your life and energy to avoid burnout and live an inspired life. Welcome to the show, Daria. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be here and I think it's going to be a great chat. It's going to be amazing. I mean, what I love so much about your journey, and I feel like it could relate to a lot of women, is the many career moves you've done, the many industries you've been in, and really like the self-exploration you're doing at this phase in your career, which I'm just so pumped to talk about later in the interview. So this is going to be a great chat, and let's jump into it. So before we go into your story, you know, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts Looking at your career journey and how often you've kind of shifted and pivoted in your life and continue to, what would you say are three things that might be holding someone back from really taking that leap and switching into that career they've always wanted? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think the three things I've consistently seen that people allow them to be held back, the first one is for sure fear of feeling like they have to know every aspect of the role and feeling like they need to check every single box. And I think a lot of that comes from a place of perfection and kind of this attachment to perfectionism. The second one I would say is fear of what people say. And a quote that I love that I feel like I share a lot, especially with young people trying to make decisions in their career is by a woman named Caroline Miss. She says that people suffer when they pursue a life or chase a dream that doesn't belong to them. And I think whether it's because you were nudged in this direction by your family or you bought into that conditioning that says, I have to take this one path and commit to it and stick to it forever and ever. Otherwise I'm a flake or otherwise, you know, people won't take me as seriously rather than seeing that as a sign of growth. Maybe that itch to change or do something else is, is really driven by your own evolution and progress. And that's the sign that you are ready to take on something new, or maybe you're just multi-passionate and you have a lot of things that you're interested in and that you want to explore. And then I think the third thing is that a lot of times people confuse their work and this idea of the borrowed equity, as I call it, that comes from working for a certain company or having a certain title or making a certain amount of money. I think they confuse that 
equity that they're borrowing from those things with the identity, right? And so this idea of like knowing the difference between borrowed equity and your own identity and you're not what you do. And I think sometimes people get paralyzed from making a leap because they're so attached to the image that has been constructed around maybe this other past life or, you know, what they're doing at the, at the moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much that resonates. Like, yes, the prestige that you have, your identity can easily be tied into that. And you get used to that because people are praising you for those titles and those companies you work for. And, you know, an interesting point that just comes to mind that you mentioned, so many people are scared to make that leap because of fear. And I'd love to get your perspective on this. You know, you become an expert in that role you're in and you're going up the ring. So really taking that leap to start somewhere fresh from scratch, you have to start as a beginner, right? So take that ego aside because you're learning, like, has that ever been, I don't want to say a problem, but a learning opportunity for you when you make these leaps, because you don't really know everything when you're starting in a new position in a new industry. Yeah, I think you can do that though and not be completely starting over. And I think that's part of why it shouldn't be as scary of a decision to, to make actually because you have transferable skills, you have relevant experience, you have things that you can draw on into those new roles. So it's never really been a true hard reset, but I think the fear of not knowing and the fear of being in that position of being a noob in whatever form that takes, I think can be scary for folks. But I think it is about actually remembering that you bring a lot to the table. You've earned that opportunity and you're bringing experience and both lived experience and professional experiences to those roles. And it's okay to be a beginner, right? It's both. And I think for me, I view reinvention as a necessary part growth and evolution. And I wrote about this for Fast Company, actually. Innovate or die is this term that's probably been thrown around for, I don't know, 20 years now or so in business. And so you have to disrupt or be disrupted, right? You have to constantly think about what's next and be growing and evolving with your customer, with the market or with the trends. We don't think about that as individuals. In fact, we tend to look down on it in a way as if to say changing somehow makes you a bad person or, you know, less than you are, or you're afraid of disappointing other people in the process because you're asking them to accept this new version of you. And I, I think that, you know, it's important for us in business and in life to embrace what that looks like. And sometimes that means having to start over and, and get to know another version of yourself. It's so true. I mean, in business, we think about it a lot. And even as children, we're always being adventurous and trying new things. But as an adult, you kind of forget that. But what I realize, the more you put yourself out there and you're trying different things, the easier it gets and the more exciting it gets. And now it's like, I don't even know what life is without excitement and changing things up and trying new things and meeting new people. It's like the fun of everything. So I love that. Well, you know, Daria, I want to start with your upbringing, going back a little bit, because I feel like it's such a foundation to who you are today. You know, you've talked a lot about your grandmother, who I know is a huge influence in who you are. And you're such a confident and powerhouse woman that I would love to just hear more about her influence in your life and the realities of your childhood growing up. Thank you. It's true. My grandmother was such an influence on me. I lost her when I was seven. So I had her for a really short period of time. But I think, you know, I, I like to joke, people inherit great jewelry or fur coats from their grandmothers. And I think I inherited a real respect for the work. She worked so hard. She she just moved with such grace and integrity and she had such a vision for her life. But to go back to my upbringing a little bit more explicitly, I was born and raised in Detroit in the 80s, which if you know anything about Detroit, that was sort of the height of the city's decline. So Detroit had undergone a lot of financial issues and was near bankruptcy. The crime had spiked pretty significantly as had drug use. And so, you know, from the 70s sort of into the 80s, there was this like heroin turned crack epidemic. And right. And so that was a really interesting backdrop <laughs> for my childhood. And I think, you know, and I share that because if you think about the role that environment plays and how we develop, not only does it influence our values, our beliefs, 
what we observe or perhaps what we expect, but it also changes our brain. It actually changes how we develop and how we grow. And I think at an early age, I was really clear that that wasn't necessarily the best environment for me. And then layering onto that, my parents married really young. And so they divorced actually quite early in my life. I don't even remember them being married. And so that brought another set of challenges, you know, with my dad being pretty absent. And so it wasn't the easiest, you know, and I think my childhood in a lot of ways actually was a microcosm of what the city was going through. So I don't know if, you know, what it was, I think for sure my grandma and the value that education played in my family and also just having a vision for this other life, you know, a bigger life, a different life, one that felt more like mine, you know, that was under the circumstances that I could create and one that really inspired and lit me up every day. And I think I, I sort of moved through my childhood in fierce pursuit of that life. And yeah, and so it was almost a given that I was going to then go off and go to school and do all of these other things. But I think for sure, my grandmother, as one of those sort of foundational elements, you know, she was a black woman born in 1932, which means that a lot of the options that I had by the time I came around weren't available to her. And yet she had been able to build a career, raise four children, and she owned several homes. She was really into real estate. And, you know, things that just, like I said, would not have been expected of someone who came from her background and the time that she had grown up. And, and so I, I feel really lucky that I had such close proximity and kind of that front row seat to someone who saw their potential, I think, being pretty limitless. Wow, incredible. I didn't know that entire backstory despite doing research on you and your upbringing. And, I, you know, I'm curious because, you know, we have interviewed so many women who have had challenging childhoods and just looking at, you know, a few things you mentioned, being in Detroit, losing your grandmother very young, and I know how close and pivotal she was in your family and also your parents going through a divorce. But what's so amazing to see about your mentality and mindset is that you knew you wanted something better and you had a vision of what that could be like. So do you think that came from your grandmother or did you have people around you that kind of showed you this other world that exists? Because I think sometimes people forget that they have the power and the opportunity to create a new life outside of their existing circumstances. Yeah, I love that. This is where this is going. I mean, I would say that I sought inspiration from a lot of different places. And so some of the women who expanded my view of what's possible were on television. You know, they weren't women that I knew in my life or my family, even. Claire Huxtable was someone who I very much looked up to. Like I, I believed in her as much as I believed in, you know, Santa Claus or something like that. And I thought, you know, having this picture of success, of confidence, of grace, of self-assuredness and integrity. You know, I saw that in her. I, my first thought about going into, at the time, advertising, but became, for me, became marketing, was Angela Bauer on Who's the Boss. You know, I loved that she had this job that was very much a creative type of role, but then she was clearly the boss and she was in charge and in, in the business world. And I didn't really fully understand, obviously, those nuances at the time, but I always was drawn to that dynamic between those two things. And I think my career for sure played out in that way. So I think being willing to seek inspiration or as Lacey Phillips calls them, expanders, people who show you what's possible, maybe you see something of yourself in them and they represent or embody a life or a facet of life that speaks to you and shows you where you could go. So I think I was really fortunate that I was so open to that. And I think seeking inspiration to validate, frankly, I sort of conjured up in my mind this future that I didn't really know existed, but I deeply believed that it did. And so I think looking for inspiration to validate that and, and it came from lots of places. And then sure, I had a couple of teachers as well who were just incredibly kind and I think poured into me in ways that I think, if anything, they just held space for that vision to 
be nurtured. But yeah, I think to your point about wanting to or understanding that we all have the capacity to change our lives, that mindset shift, if you're not in the mindset now, to find ways to cultivate that through that idea that you can sort of see to believe and then become whatever it is that you want. And yeah, I think it's great to have people who can show you that path, however you find them. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds, freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. Yes, uh, I love that. I mean, for you, it's TV. And, and I feel like so much of what's been an inspiration in my life, similarly, is just seeing what's possible and resonating with women who were like me, because I grew up in the world of finance, where a lot of my mentors were amazing men that supported me, but more aggressive. And I never really saw myself in them. So I was like, okay, finance isn't for me. I want to start my own business. But then I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, mostly men who were, and they were very aggressive as well. So I was like, I want a different playbook for what success looked like. And to your point, I seeked it, right? I used to throw these dinners with a good friend, Shiza Shahid, and it now morphed into these podcasts because I love showing other women like how you can be successful and the different I guess, pivots you can make in your life because really like seeing what's possible is half the battle, I think. So going to your amazing career, I actually want to start with the beginning. You know, you moved to New York at a young age and you had a job at L'Oreal, which of course is an amazing, reputable job. And you decided to make a shift and actually work at Rent the Runway when they were, I, I believe you were maybe the eighth employee. I remember 10. Number 10. Oh my God. I mean, I have so many questions with that because you joined a rocket ship, I'm sure at the time, but 
looking at that experience, you know, what was the motivation for you to leave a reputable job so early on? And some of the maybe key learnings that you can share that you took away from your time at Rent the Runway. Yeah, you know, I moved to New York to go to business school with the real clear intent of moving into consumer goods marketing and really having a role in some way in changing or at least evolving the narrative that I think we were seeing at the time in beauty and in fashion and and expanding what representation looked like. So starting at L'Oreal was a dream and it was such an incredible place to learn and to explore. And my love of beauty, I mean, I had no idea how much I really loved the category and still do. So yeah, I spent several years between Lancome and then YSL Bote. And when I was at YSL, I started working on the website. So I was, you know, an assistant marketing manager. I was working on sales materials that would then go into Sephora. And then I would, you know, also be looking at competitive analysis for the skincare or the fragrance or the cosmetics parts of the business and those segments. And then I was also working on YSLBote.com. And I love the real-time feedback that I was getting from customers. We could run a display ad and you could see people, you could see traffic come to your site. Did people like this ad? We could A-B test creative or messaging and then immediately you know, see what happened as a result or send an email and look at the retention or the response to the emails. And so that I think was really where my digital and dot-com D2C love was seated. I first learned about Rent the Runway actually through Becky Hyman, who is the younger sister of Jen Hyman. And Becky was a Stern student at the time. And she was actually really interested in going into beauty. She had been a buyer at Bloomingdale's. And so we met uh, at an event where I spoke. And so I learned a little bit about Rent the Runway there. And then you fast forward maybe, I don't know, two or three months later, and then it launches on the front page of the business section of, uh, I think, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. And I was like, holy cow. The impetus for the move was the D2C space. I love that two young women had come up with this really cool business model. It was very timely because we had entered into the economic downturn and were very much in a recession. And I love that they were still wanting to offer these sort of Cinderella moments to women and, you know, give them a taste of fashion, give them access to fashion. And so for me, it was kind of an easy hell yes. I mean, you know, the biggest (laughs) risk I think I took was, you know, I was leaving this big company going to a startup and it was early and I took a huge pay cut (laughs) to do that. But it felt worth it. And I was at a point in my life where it seemed palatable, even though living in New York is very expensive. And I learned so much. Are you kidding? I learned how to stand up organizations that I had never run before. So I came in to lead the customer experience. And when I joined, there were like two interns who worked for me a couple days a week each. One was babysitting on the side and one was, you know, still in school at LIM. And from there, in the period of a year, built up a team of 10 stylists who really ran the entire customer experience, standing up processes for systems where we could talk to the operations team and talk to fulfillment on the customer orders and and that experience, being able to then go and use those customer insights and all the inquiry that would come in to pitch new designers to sell to us or to work with some of the brand partners that we did have to think about how do we grow their businesses and do more in the form of marketing and storytelling. So gosh, I mean, I learned a lot. I learned, I think, about my capacity. I learned how to trust my instincts. I learned that a small group of dedicated people can do a lot of things. It was my real introduction into the world of fundraising and venture capital. And that was a new frontier coming from L'Oreal. Yeah, I learned so much. And Jen Hyman, uh, especially, I think she is a brilliant leader and an incredible saleswoman. And I think just watching her work, I learned a lot as well. So it's probably still one of the more talked about times in my career, even though it's been over a decade now since I was there. Yeah. I mean, I believe in it. What I love so much about this is you took 
a pay cut, right, for this potential and experience. And I think it's really you investing in yourself. And fast forward many years from now, it's still a pivotal moment in your life. And I did something very similar. And I joined a company that was in bankruptcy, American Apparel, actually. And they were restructuring. And even though I took a pay cut and the company wasn't doing well, it was one of my most favorite times in my life. And still, I lean on a lot of what I've learned with team building and restructuring to what I'm doing today. So I just love to highlight that because some people, I know getting a pay cut is tough. You have to obviously budget and see you know, how it can work in your life. But the skills that you learn in certain experiences are just invaluable. So I love that risk you took and your experience there. And you know, one thing you've talked a lot about in your career as a whole is this thing, which I actually never heard about called Clifton Strengths. And you've been very obsessed with, you know, doing what is a strength in your life and in your career. And that's how you really thought about different moves. So I'd love for you to kind of share more about that, because I think it could be so helpful to me and so many people listening. Sure. Oh my gosh, I do. It's an incredible tool and framework. And the thesis is that we have the ability to make exponential impact when we operate from a place of strength and that we are all born with innate talent that when honed over time can become strengths. And so there are 34 core strengths that fall into one of four domains. And those domains are strategic thinking, relationship building, influencing, and executing. And you know, you can sure have different themes, one of those 34 themes within different domains, but ultimately we often tend to have one domain in which we're most talented. And I think a lot of times in work and in our careers, we find that there is a desired outcome for a business or a deliverable or a project. And our instinct is to try to mimic someone else's approach and strategy to doing it. And what I love about Clifton Strengths is once you have that fluency, that understanding of what your talent is, number one, you get to practice it over and over again and make that your superpower. But you also can really decide how to use your strengths to get to that desired outcome. It's not about following somebody else's path. So you have kind of your top five strengths, which are almost like the things you can do in your sleep. And then six through 10 things that are also core to you that you want to really hone and refine. And then 11 through 34 are probably not things you want to spend as much time trying to correct. You know, I don't want to call them weaknesses and they wouldn't call them weaknesses, but things that are less common for you in your toolkit, right? You're not necessarily calling on those things. So the moment that I learned about this theory and took the assessment which takes maybe 35, maybe 45 minutes to do. And then it'll, you know, give you the readout. And it typically, overall, you don't see a lot of changes. I do know some people who have seen some changes over time, often though their core domain still stays the same, but maybe they were working on refining or honing some of those talents. So maybe their top five changed a little bit. But once I had that, it gave me such clarity for how I wanted to show up. And it was also quite validating. You know, I think in a lot of ways I felt very seen and could say, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly what that is. You know, for example, one of my core strengths is significance. I want to do meaningful work. I want to do important work and I want to be known for doing that work. And I think I used to feel kind of bad about that because I wanted to be seen doing important work and be aligned with and associated with successful people who were, you know, making impact. And sometimes that can be seen as a negative or what they might call like the barrier perception of that particular talent. And so, yeah, I, to me, and, and then for sure, as a leader, having my entire team go through the assessment as well, it armed me with so much information in how to meet each of my direct reports and how to lead them in leading their teams to greater success and doing it a bit more on their own terms. And so listen, the end goal is the same, but how you get there is going to be yours and it's individual. So yeah, I could gush on and on and on about it, but I think it is such an important tool and framework to knowing yourself. And as you grow in your leadership, knowing your team. And I used to always say that to my team, that disruptive leaders know themselves, they know their teams and they know how to take risks and fail and fail fast and fail up. But 
to do that, I think it starts with a baseline level of awareness. And this particular framework is just one that I, I happen to believe really deeply in. I love all this stuff. I know we could do like a part two in the podcast all about this topic, but I have a whole podcast. I know (laughs) with talking about, and I'm sure we can even go to like leadership roles and even your life, how to think about strength, but you're right. Like it's so multifaceted. But what I love about this is because sometimes people don't even know their strengths. And typically your strengths are sometimes the easiest things that come naturally, right? Whether it's relationship building, or maybe you're more analytical. And sometimes you forget that. And at least in my life, I never really knew what they were. And I would sometimes go for that title and that job that I would work so hard for, but it didn't feel like I was in flow until like my late 20s and 30s. I'm finally now figuring out who I am. So knowing that there's a system out there that can ask you certain questions, like for you to be reflective versus just you sitting with yourself, because sometimes it's hard, is so key. And like the earlier you can find out what your strengths are, what your superpowers are, you will not only be happier in your own life, but you also are going to add the most value. And I feel like that's when you can really succeed because you're doing what's coming naturally to you and what you're really passionate about. So I love that. I'm actually excited to do it. You know, maybe I'll do it after this call, go through Clifton Strengths. And it's great. It's part of, you know, kind of what I call like your interior design process and going inward and really looking at your values and what you believe and what motivates you, what lights you up, what are you good at? You know, I think that that internal work or interior design work is so important. So, yes. I'm fast forwarding a little bit just because it's come up naturally in the conversation. But, you know, I feel like you're at a a point in your life right now where you're kind of also reinventing yourself and reevaluating your next step. So, you know, what does that look like for you? What are some exercises or things that you're doing where you've gone through the work, but you're now taking it to another level, it seems like? Yeah, I think for anyone doing that, and, and I'll tell you, you know, personally for me too, it really is about assessing your values and your needs. And that sounds simple and it can be hard work, but I think really understanding what do you bring to the table, right? What do you offer? What do you value in your work, in relationships, in how you make impact and how you show up and how you use your energy? And then what do you need to be true? And I think over many years, you know, I've checked, I've done that check-in with myself to ask myself those questions. And I think I just started to see that shift become greater and where, you know, maybe in the past, it felt like these little micro evolutions and I would say more evolution and not revolution, right? Where I think over the past couple of years have felt more revolutionary in terms of that shift. And I think, knowing my own desires to, and you feel it, I think too, we often are receiving some signal and message. Our bodies tend to tell us what we need. Our mind and our body are very connected. And there's a lot of science behind what the brain and the body look like in different mood states and and sort of the impact of one on the other. And I could go down a very long neuroscience road, which is actually one of my passions. And I think it sort of feeds a little bit into your question. And so as I had spent the last maybe five years really learning a lot more about personal development, I would say, but really wellness and well-being through the lens of neuroscience and and psychiatry, psychology, and even to some extent spirituality, I just became more fascinated with the power of internal transformation. And so being in the beauty and fashion world, I, you know, I spent 15 years in that world, which is all about external transformation. And it's important. And we feel amazing when we look great. And we often get to feel like our best selves, you know, when we get to represent ourselves the way that we want to. That's super important. But I was home during the pandemic selling shoes, fashion footwear specifically, during a time where I'm home in slippers and I'm asking women to buy shoes. And that became hard. It became challenging. And at the same time, I was focusing so much on, as a leader, my team and their psychological safety and physical safety because we usually, you know, we are coming together, we're in studio, we're shooting merchandise for a living. You know, it's a very collaborative, creative 
experience being a CMO. And so... And just for people who don't know, you're a CMO at Just Fab and you moved yes. here from New York to LA right before the pandemic. So I just wanted to throw that in there so people I can did, have some yes, contact. Thank you. That's right. Yes. I was in New York for a hundred years and I moved to LA right before <laughs> the pandemic and to accept this role, which was incredible. And in so many ways, my dream job. And I think I needed to be in LA and sort of away from a lot of what felt familiar because I think if I were back in New York, I'd be at my house near the beach with friends, you know, it would have been a very different time spent. And I think that time spent allowed me to gain more clarity on my own interest in internal transformation, on helping people achieve their own limitless potential, on exploring these intersections of impact and innovation and access. I'm now in the midst of evolving my own thesis for my career through that lens and looking at opportunities that really align more towards that. And I think, you know, anyone who is excited by the idea that these, what feel like predetermined aspects of ourselves are fixed, that they're not, if they're excited by the idea that those things can change, that's the journey that I'm on and thinking about how to connect with those people and, and bring more of that work together. I think that is closer to my purpose. You know, I think it, it takes me a lot closer to what I was meant to do in this life in some way. So yeah, it's been a huge shift and, and an exciting one. And I get to write about it, which is a lot of what I'm doing right now in addition to sitting on a board and then investing in organizations. And all of them, I think, have the red thread of focusing on that aspect of access, of, of creating more access for people who need it, of rethinking businesses that maybe haven't always been as inclusive and as thoughtful or as innovative in how we can take care of people and of the planet. So it's been a really busy, unique time. My multi-passionate nature has been in heaven as a result of it. Yeah, sure. I know. I love it. I mean, I came across you and I can't remember how, but this was your time after just fab. And I just loved what you represented and the articles that you wrote and the companies you invested in, which I'm very familiar with. I'm like, she seems amazing. I need to have her on. But just going back to your time at just fab, I didn't even think about, you know, pandemic comes and you're selling shoes like there. I'm sure there was so much misalignment that really allowed you to kind of pause and think, is this the right thing for me? And make you really think about those next steps. But what's interesting about what you said is so much of your body actually is what I've realized, like knows the right moves for you. But what I've realized, at least in my old Yasmin self, is my mind would not really listen to my body. And that's actually been the past two, three years since I've been on my own accord starting this business and the podcast, I'm still learning how to connect the two. So I don't know if you had that issue, you know, being in corporate, maybe your mind was more of the leader in terms of what you're doing. But have you ever had issues yourself really connecting with your body and, you know, those values and your gut instincts that you have? Sure. I think we all have external forces that tempt us to not listen to ourselves. And I think as women, as women of color, there are so many messages being drilled into us that you have to work twice as hard. You have to be twice as good. You have to, you know, do all of these things just to get a fair shake or just to get consideration. And I think even just that messaging alone, which I can't even think of a time when I didn't hear that growing up and friends who have said that too, that what that's saying is I'm not enough as I am because I've got to be twice this thing or twice that thing. And that's not what it's meant to do. Obviously, it's, I think, meant to provide a little dose of reality that the world doesn't always see our strengths and our talents. And even how being a woman or a black woman is part of that talent and that strength. And so you have to be willing and strong enough and confident enough to double down on that. But I think the messaging and what we take away is, you know, that I have to sort of outsource some of my authenticity or my agency to be accepted. And so, yeah, I think when you do that, you inherently lose touch with the mind-body connection. You're very much in your mind about the next move you make or what someone's going to think or the perceptions that you've left in your wake after an interaction. 
constantly, right? And so for me, meditation has been so, so, so important to doing that. I would say I probably started meditating five years ago is when I dipped my toe in the water and was a little bit more consistent. And then four years ago was I really became more consistent and more diligent about trying to figure out what kind of meditation worked for me because there are so many and then sort of hitting that sweet spot. And I think at the same time, I was spending more time in nature. I had gotten, you know, my house near the beach. It's kind of like in the country and it like, you know, and so I was outside more and doing a lot of things that are very naturally good for the mind and the body simultaneously journaling. And so I think all of those things gave me an outlet and then visibility into the inner self and my inner truth in many ways or things that maybe I was wrestling with. But yes, there's always something I think that's going to try to lure you away from your intuition, but the body absolutely knows. And I think it starts with just knowing where in your body you tend to get the signal. Mine is in the belly. And so it's a very sort of sacral response for me. It's also where my energy and my clarity come from. So I know that if I'm feeling outside of myself, or I'm not trusting my intuition, or I'm feeling like I'm trying to push something forward and I feel a lot of frustration in that. I'm probably in some way blocked in that area. And I need to think about giving myself some space or naming and articulating what it is that maybe is holding me back. But, you know, I would encourage everyone to figure out what practice they should have or create to do that. And it takes time. And so to be patient with yourself along the way, but, you know, being well-rested helps, being hydrated helps exercise definitely helps being out in nature helps and just finding your way to still your mind and then be able to listen to your mind and your body. And, and I think a lot of things just really naturally come from that. Yeah, no, I so agree. I mean, even what I loved is that when you're feeling frustrated or, or feeling like something isn't going the way you want, I used to push hard against that and get it done. And I had a coach and coach Karen, she was on my podcast, one of our top episodes, she really taught me like move with inspiration, not motivation, right? I think me and you and a lot of type A women, we're motivated, we can get anything done. But at the end of the day, and especially when you're like running your own business, you're like, why am I putting myself back in that position when it's on my own accord? And what could I do to feel inspired again? And one thing, you know, we've talked a lot about in these different interviews I've done, a lot of women just like pause, right? And reflect in those moments versus pushing. And I love that. And I, the, I remember when I first started the podcast, the so one question I would always ask people is like, how much of your gut do you listen to in business decisions? And I will tell you so many women that's very similar to you are saying the gut, their gut is a superpower. And I think as women instinctually, we have more connection. So really I'm a firm believer in that. That's how I run my business today. And to be frank, like, I feel like we're making more momentum in this new mindset that I'm in versus always kind of pushing, getting things done, getting this partnership, like things are organically moving. And I'm still early, but I can't wait to talk about it, you know, a little bit later in my career, because I'm so passionate about how everybody could live a life like this without forcing everything, right? But it takes stillness. It does. And I think too, especially for women who are listening to understand and to know that Constantly pushing and driving is very masculine energy, right? And I don't mean to gender the energy, but if you believe in energetics and, you know, very old wisdom for how we think about the yin and the yang, if you will, right? Let's take gender out of it and make it more yin and yang. However you want to think about it, that push is not necessarily as natural to us. We tend to have a place of strength when we're in receptivity because that's where creativity comes from. That is your intuition. All of those things tend to be, you know, air quote, more stereotypically feminine energetics or feminine energy at work. And this country for sure has a very masculine energy dominant style. And so regardless, again, this isn't a gendered discussion, but that push, 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 go, 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 constantly being goal-driven, it's also often what leads to burnout. And so if you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling angry or whatever your not self looks like when you're not aligned, 
pay attention to that because I think that resistance, it may be redirection or that you are clinging too much to the detail when you just need the big picture in mind. So I always say, focus on the direction and not the details, because if the direction is clear and that's coming from a place of authenticity for you, then the details almost don't matter. They will work themselves out and and often will surprise you along the way. Like that's the fun part. And so it's about having the direction. But yeah, I do think it's so important to hold the balance between the two and to know that sometimes it is okay to be still and to listen and to receive and to not always go and push and drive and direct. Yeah. And I love what you mentioned in terms of really honing in on the vision and the direction, because I've been there before. You're setting up goals, whether it's a new year or a new business or a new career, and you just get stuck in the details. And sometimes those details will give you anxieties. And it really requires you to step back and think about, okay, what's the overall vision What's the goal? And like you said, things will slowly kind of work its way out. I mean, the details are important, but not so much where you're so fixated because that's very anxiety producing because you can't really control the outcome. And life is always, right, giving you a curveball. And, you know, one thing, and we've talked about it throughout this interview a little bit, but you've called yourself a recovering perfectionist. I think that (laughs) will, you know, relate to me and so many people listening. So what do you mean by that? And how have you really recovered from perfectionism? Because so much of perfection is really what's holding women back from really taking that leap or that next step. Yeah. I say recovering because I think it's always a process. I think that we are, like I was saying, you know, we're always sort of ingesting messages and programming that suggests that we're not enough. And I think it's sort of revolutionary to not play that game, to say, you know what, I'm going to do my best. I know what that looks like. My why is very clear and how I do it and how I show up, as long as it feels authentic to me, that's going to be enough because the bar will always move, right? It's always going to be, the stakes will always increase. There will always be something else demanding that you be thinner, be prettier, or be smarter, do it faster, whatever it is, right? Pick anything and there is a way to do it. But I think so much of that either comes from wanting to please other people and be seen or or perceived in a certain way. And, you know, that often is a self-worth question of, okay, are you feeling you're most worthy and most deserving, right? Or it's coming from a place of fear, which we also don't want to operate from, you know, a place of of fear. And often that manifests in trying to control the situation. And I don't believe in, I think control is an illusion. I don't believe in, I don't think such thing is like controlling things. I think you manage your energy. I think you manage the information that you have. And if you do that from the right place, I do think that things often They just turn out so much better than you think. And I have so many stories where I tried to control something in the moment that I surrendered to or let go of the attachment to this thing, having a certain image or patina or vibe or whatever, like things just flowed. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm recovering because I'm always making sure that I'm trying to make those decisions. You know, I think being willing to make new and better mistakes, right. And, and not see failure as an indictment on your character and to just be willing to just mess up or learn something new and grow from there, you know? And so I feel like you either, you win or you learn, you only lose if you don't learn. So just try it anyway. And it's okay if you don't, look amazing doing it or that people aren't giving you high praise for doing it. But yeah, I think it's just, it's all about checking in. Like, why do you feel like this needs to be perfect in the first place? And like, what's holding you back from pursuing this thing? Because in there is some limiting belief probably that needs to get worked out. And I will say, you know, once you, you mentioned really being dialed in on your mission and your values, I feel like that kind of takes away the fear around doing something and helps with the perfection side because you have a much bigger why and mission around it, or at least I know that's helped me. 
in your life, there's been so many tough roadblocks you've hit and challenges where you've surrendered, right? And the outcome has been even better than you expected. I'd love to hear maybe one that comes to mind, just so if anyone is questioning what we're talking about, they can see the evidence behind it. Because I'm a huge believer in, you know, surrendering. And in my life, I've seen things in my business that have turned out way better than I even expected after a very, very challenging time. Yeah, I mean, I can give you a really small, silly one, actually. But I think it's such a perfect illustration. I spent six weeks in France recently, and uh, mostly in Paris. And I went to Provence for a few days to sort of go, I guess, on holiday from my holiday. And I had found this amazing place to stay and loved my room. Everything felt so great. And the heat stopped working in the room and I'm calling and calling and calling and they're trying to figure it out and they're sending maintenance and they could not figure out how to get the heat working. And I really, really wanted to stay in the room. So the kind people said, well, we'll, we can move you because we don't know if we'll get it fixed before you have to leave. And I had one more night there and I also didn't want to pack everything up and move to this room. And I think, you know, the old me probably would have been super frustrated or just in a headspace of not being, not seeing that as an opportunity to one, practice patience and just understand that things happen and just show up as a better version of myself in that moment. And so I did, I said, okay, you know, that's totally fine. And thank you so much for being willing to to move me. I know this isn't ideal for anyone. So they moved me to another room. And Yasmin, it was like the best room in the entire hotel. I had the most gorgeous view of the grounds and it was a gorgeous chateau and I, it overlooked their winery. And so I could look on the vineyards and you know, it's just one of those silly little things that sometimes we have this idea of what something should look like and we grasp it so tightly and we have attachments to it that we often can't see what else might be possible. And I did, I just sort of surrendered to it and said, you know, this is for whatever reason I, I'm meant to leave. And then I move into this other room and I had so much gratitude, I think for the moment, but then even just for myself and having that check-in or that instinct to just stay in a higher vibration and to say, this isn't a big deal. You know, you're in an incredible place. Enjoy it. But that's such a small example. For sure, we could talk about bigger ones, but I share that one because those things happen to us all the time. And we choose in those moments, those micro moments, like, am I going to stay in a high vibration or reduce my energy to something that's not my best? Yeah. And I think you made a good point. You know, when you aren't keeping yourself in that higher vibration, you are missing different opportunities because your mind is not even allowing you to live in that higher vibration, whatever that may look like. For In your case, it's, you know, the upgrade to this bigger villa, which sounds amazing. But, you know, you are missing so many opportunities when you're so focused on what's in front of you and the frustration around it where it doesn't even benefit anyone. I feel like we could talk for so long, but this interview was so inspiring to me and I can't wait to continue to see all the amazing work and impact you're doing. And it was such an honor to have you join us today. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I can't believe how quickly it flew by, but I know. love what you're doing. I love the conversations you're having and I'm so, so grateful to have been a part of it all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.